Now, with over 62% of America's adults having received both COVID shots being fully vaccinated, coupled with those receiving boosters growing exponentially every day, many companies are setting plans and forecasting dates for a return to workplaces. However, with older adults preferring remote or the hybrid working model wanting to remain safe, what will the new workplace really look like for them? Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Nearly 2 million older adults have left corporate America as a major part of the Great Resignation Movement due to COVID-19. Determining what's next for them, along with those remaining in the workforce, was the subject of the forum, Older Adults and COVID-19, at the National Virtual Conference of the American Society on Aging. On this edition, we continue our touch base with three of the seminar thought leaders, Richard Eisenberg, Amy Gorier, and we begin with the observations of Christopher Farrell. What was the experience that was going on with experienced workers before the pandemic? And, you know, the labor force participation rate had been rising since about the early 1990s, and it's been a steady trend. And just to give one idea, so workers 65 to 69 in 1987, labor force participation rate was 20%. And that was pre-pandemic, it was around 33%. So, you know, you're seeing a big increase. And then Kaufman Foundation and their data, you know, in recent years before the pandemic, about a quarter of all new entrepreneurs were the 55 to 64 year old age group. And that's up from less than 15% in 1997. And then in the, you look at the self-employment rate, uh, as you go up, self-employment rate, 15% for those 60 to 64, 21% for the 65 to 69 cohort. Yet even in this pre-pandemic world, where we're having those very powerful trends, you know, and 25% of the workforce was 55 years and older, two and a half million workers who were 55 years and older wanted to work and didn't have jobs. And the main reason was because of age discrimination and because of ageism. And then on top of that, you have uh, many older blacks, minorities, women, people without college degrees, you know, labored in jobs with low and unstable wages. And the fact is, if you have a job that doesn't pay well in your 50s, the odds that you have a decent paying job in your 60s are ludicrously low, right? And then as Rich was mentioning, experienced workers far more vulnerable to being unemployed for longer periods of time. And that became particularly worrisome in the aftermath of the 2008-2009 recession. So a mixed picture with an upward bias towards self-employment, entrepreneurship, and working longer. So how has the pandemic affected these trends? Well, uh, for one thing, I think that we all know that the pandemic has starkly, brutally exposed, you know, the cumulative long-term effect, uh, the cost of deep-rooted inequities in our society for Blacks, for women, uh, for minorities, for people with less education. For another, you know, off of the labor force participation rate as it's come down, and it's been heavily concentrated in the 65 plus. So Richard Johnson, the Urban Institute, has come out with numbers that, um, it's now for, for, for a one-year period for the 65 plus, labor force participation rate is down 11%. And that's the worst drop that you've seen in 60 years since they started keeping the data in 1948. So a lot of the questions are going to be going forward, 
what is the future of ageism? What is the future of age discrimination as the economy uh, starts reviving and we have the pandemic in the rear view mirror? And finally, I think the, the strongest thing that we, that we can say is that the pandemic, as off what Kerry was saying, the pandemic has given a boost to entrepreneurship and self-employment and small business creation in the second half of life. So I think that's one of the things that comes out most strongly. And the thing is, you know, owning a business, and often without employees, sometimes with, with employees, you know, it's a source of income that also provides some creativity. You're building off the skills that you've accumulated over a lifetime. And the fact is, at least to some extent, you're your own boss. Plus, it's part of our culture, right? There is everybody kind of harbors a dream about starting a business. They got some idea. And uh, sometimes people go for it. But the other thing is the reality is that, and this has, I think, been particularly true, and this is in the data uh, during the pandemic experience that people have been pushed into entrepreneurship. They have been pushed into self-employment, that it's one of the best options that they have. And it's building off the experience, by the way, with people build, uh, starting their own business, becoming an entrepreneur, becoming self-employed. Why deal with these sclerotic human resources departments that can't seem to change their minds. Uh, why deal with these uh, ages algorithms? You start your own business and more and more people are being pushed in that direction. And the Kaufman Foundation recently came up with uh, their national report on entrepreneurship trends. And in the background is a remarkable shift during the pandemic recession. So normally when you have a downturn, entrepreneurship goes down, right? I mean, you, that's what you would expect. This time what happened was a historic increase in people filing for employer identification numbers. And what is happening is that more and more people seem to be at least thinking about starting a job. And usually the gap between filing for the number and starting your business might be around six months or so. You may never do it, but it's absolutely fascinating how many people said, this is what we're going to do. And the Kaufman data that came out on their recent report on national trends in entrepreneurship support this. Um, the rate of new entrepreneurships was substantially higher in 2020 than it was in 2019 and than it was in previous years. And when you focus on the age breakdown, all age groups experienced an increase in entrepreneurship, but the highest rate was the 45 to 54 year old age group, uh, what Carrie called the midlife entrepreneur. And the second highest was the 54 to 64 year old age group. Entrepreneurship is going to grow. And that's despite the fact that a lot of small business owners, 45 years plus, really took a big hit during the, the pandemic downturn. And there's a very good study by AARP and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And the number of small business owners shrank by 24% during the pandemic, uh, while, for example, younger entrepreneurs, 16%. And among small business owners, older small business owners, 45 years and, and over, Asian small business owners were hurt the worst, followed by Blacks and Latinos. So it's, a, again, something of a mixed picture, but I think coming out of this, when we're looking ahead with the pandemic and work, we're going to be talking about starting your own business, being self-employed, being a solo entrepreneur. Richard Eisenberg notes that more creative approaches may be necessary to get older adults to return to offices and workplaces. You know, I like the program and uh, Carl Van Horn, who's at Rutgers. Rich, you might remember the name of the center. It's the Hydric center. center, I believe. Yeah, for workplace development. For development. And he's uh, developed a program, which is one of those programs where he says, come and steal it. Um, but he's developed a program that is specifically focused on, uh, I believe it's 55 and older, long-term unemployed. 
and get them back into the job market. And a lot of it has to do with networks and they work with volunteer coaches. So it, it creates an ecosystem of support. And it's not just learning or online learning. A lot of it is about the ecosystem of support and developing a network. But I think his program is really intriguing. And as an academic, he's also, um, they're, they're documenting both their successes and their failures. So you're not just seeing the, the stuff that's worked out. They also are, uh, are documenting what isn't working. One of the things that I've seen recently that I find very interesting, and I bet a lot of our audience is seeing it where they live too, is that local entrepreneurs in communities are getting together to help each other out, to say, well, what do you do when this happens? Or do you have any ideas about that? And um, they are being really helpful for people who want to start a business or have done it recently to take advantage of the other entrepreneurs where you live and see if you can get some advice from them. Um, and I think we're seeing more of that going on. Um, what I am concerned about, and to get back to what Chris was saying before about age discrimination, you know, before the pandemic, when the unemployment rate was very low, uh, employers were hanging on to older workers. They weren't laying them off in big numbers as they had during the Great Recession because they needed them. Uh, then the pandemic hit, the unemployment rate soared. Uh, there was a, some fear by, by employers that older workers might be a health danger to the other workers. So maybe we don't want them around. I think there's maybe less of that now than there was a few months ago, partly because of the vaccine. But I'm curious to see whether as the as the economy starts getting better, whether employers will be eager and happy to hire and keep older workers because they need them the way they had a couple years ago, or whether they will continue their historic pattern, which is to say, basically, we don't want to interview people over 50 for jobs, and we like to get rid of the ones we have because they're expensive. So uh, I'd like to think that as the economy gets better and we need more workers of all ages, that this will be good for older workers. I'm a little skeptical. Richard Eisenberg and Chris Farrell also observe a real need for supplemental training or expertise certificates going forward for older adults. The 24 American Job Centers. Get them to embrace older workers, experienced workers. They really don't have any expertise with the 50 plus, 55 plus. And also they don't have any expertise in self-employment, which as I mentioned, I think is one of the important trends. And finally, for uh, it's just really important, the Senior Community Service Employment Program. I always get that wrong. CESEP, however you pronounce the acronym. Um, look, this is for older, unemployed, lower income Americans. These are people who want to work. And this program against inflation has been eroded and it needs to be funded. And it needs to be funded with a lot of money because there is an enormous return on that investment. Yeah, just very, uh, just to jump in, uh, a couple of years ago, the Council of Economic Advisors, the White House Council of Economic Advisors put out a report about training. And basically what their data showed is once you're past age 25, 30, there's very little that's done and on the training front. I mean, we really, it just really just trails off. And there's just so much good research out of Europe where that training does pay off and particularly with, with older workers and coming out of Germany and coming out of Holland. Uh, and particularly with women is in, Ger in the German uh, studies that I looked at, there's been, you know, a lot of success. So 
I think that the training thing is really important and it comes off something that, you know, we've talked about lifelong learning as a cliche, but it actually is, and whether it's training through the company, training through the community college, getting a nano certificate, there's a lot of conversation in the education community. I don't think there's anywhere near the amount of action you would want to see. When you, you know, when you're in your 50s and your 60s or your 70s, you don't necessarily want to go and get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, but you may want a certificate uh, that is, that works throughout the country, that's recognized throughout the country that says that you took this three-month course and you actually have this set of skills and it's, uh, and an employer in Texas or an employer in Minnesota can feel comfortable hiring you because you have this certificate. And I think that's where we need to have a lot more investment. Christopher Farrell is also noting a growing acceptance and interest in the hybrid working model. Yeah, there's an interesting uh, sur- survey. It's by uh, Stanford University economist Nicholas Bloom, along with um, the Atlanta Fed, Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and the University of Chicago. So they're surveying a thousand employers. I think these are mostly larger and employers. And um, they do seem to be saying that they're going to accept this hybrid model. But I also think a lot of it's going to come down to the sociology of power. And, you know, senior leadership is going to be in the office. And the people who want to be around senior leadership are going to end up going to the office. So I think a lot of this is going to end up being determined on what you know, where you, what stage you are in your career, what you're trying to get out of your career, what is the sociology of, of your particular office. And maybe as, as Amy's saying, you know, you may be at a caregiving stage of your life, in which case you're going to be, you know, maneuvering to get yourself to work from home more, but you are going to be giving up a lot of what comes out of being in that office. And I don't see that. I mean, I think we've crossed a Rubicon in the sense that Working from home is now going to be one of the baselines, but there are some real power implications and career implications as this unfolds. Richard Eisenberg observed an emerging importance of an intergenerational workforce. Multi-generational workforces tend to perform better and be more profitable for employers than single generational, whether it's only younger workers or only older workers. So there's a benefit to the employers of having older and younger workers working together. And there's that one more thing. What I think a lot of older workers don't want to be is invisible. And what happens is they don't get invited into the room when there's an opportunity because the assumption is, you know, they're, they're leaving, they're going, they're older. Um, and I think it's to, you know, the, if this, the, the research is compelling about the multi-generational workforce. And I think our experience is compelling about the multi-generational workforce, but it's about being invited into the room. It's about being opportunities being opened up and not being, um, well, becoming invisible. We do thank Richard Eisenberg, Amy Goyer, and Christopher Farrell, all thought leaders on older adults in the changing post-COVID workplace. We connected with them again for this edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get vaccinated for yourself and your family's health. Mask up and keep your distance when going out. And we do appreciate you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.